Would you stand to your feet? We honor the reading of God's Word. Open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9. We've been looking at the declarations of who Jesus, the coming Messiah, would be. This is a prophecy from Isaiah given 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and it's incredible when you look at the detail of what was prophesied. Isaiah chapter 9, in verse 2. I do have this in the Bible app, by the way. We do have under events. You'll see our church there. I have all of our notes for the day. Isaiah 9, in verse 2, says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you as uh, according to the har- joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. You have broken the staff of burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, just as in the day of Midian. Every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning a fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time and forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Wow. Let's, let's pray and ask the Lord's hand on this word. Jesus, I, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is light and it is life. It's instruction. It's correction. And I just ask that even today, Lord, the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be poured out upon each and every one of our lives. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that perceives what your spirit is speaking today. Lord, I resist every distraction and every hindrance the enemy would try and bring upon the people of God. We pray you give us liberty in receiving what your spirit is speaking today in Jesus name I pray and everybody say amen Amen. you may be seated I've spent time the last number of weeks we talked about the wonderful counselor and and you'll notice in the preceding passages it talks over and over again about joy how the people rejoice and we experience great joy How, how many of you experience joy when you came to know Jesus Hallelujah. Uh, you'll, you'll see that we talked about um, how Jesus is the mighty God. And we looked at all those phrases about breaking the staff of, of burden and the yoke of bondage and the rod of the oppressor. Uh, we talked about how our God is a, is a warrior God and he came to destroy the works of the devil. How many of you have received freedom in your life? Uh, the Lord has touched you and ministered. Uh, we talked Last week about the everlasting father, about the, the care and the adoption, and even that we've been hanaid, to use a, a Hawaiian word, that we've been received not just as like an adopted stepchild. No, we are family with rights and an inheritance. But one of the passages that I have not yet given commentary on is, is connected to this Prince of Peace. And it's an interesting one. In verse 5 it says, Every warrior sandal from the noisy battle and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning of fuel and fire. And you say, what does that have to do with 
Christmas. What does that have to do? This is, it's an interesting, it's kind of an odd verse, but um, let me illustrate it to you using a, a little piece of history. A couple weeks ago, December 7th, we celebrated, or we remembered rather, the 80-year anniversary of a day that President Roosevelt said will live in infamy. Anybody know what that was? Pearl Harbor. Shortly before 8 o'clock in the morning, there were 353 bombers, attack fighters, torpedo bombers, that launched a surprise attack on one of our neighboring islands, and there were about 2,400 individuals killed during that attack. Thousands more were injured. Four battleships were sank. One of them is still underwater to this day. Um, but what's interesting to me, and we remember that, we honor those who laid down their lives. I know I've met people who had relatives who were involved in that, and, uh, and to those I, I honor, and, uh, and I, I don't take that as a light or a, you know, a, a, a little thing. But what I think is interesting is today, you go to Pearl Harbor, and we've driven through the area. I haven't actually gone and toured all of it, but I've seen the, the massive cannons that are right there. Uh, you can see the battleships. You can go and you can tour. You can see uh, fighter planes, and you can, you know, there's, there's all kinds of uh, memorials, and you can see all kinds of war artifacts. And it just, it, it strikes me. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this, but you're walking around there, and it's like, this cannon, this is a real cannon, this battleship was actually used in warfare 80 years ago in the years preceding, right? You, you see, you know, artifacts of guns and, uh, you know, the uniforms that the soldiers might, would have worn during that time. And you see all of this. And today, what was a weapon of warfare is a tourist attraction, and I don't think, I, I'm not, listen, uh, understand my heart. I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily. It provides a memorial and an opportunity for us to see and to remember what's happened there. But I think it is so crazy that something that once was used to defend or to attack today is, it's used for us to go and see and enjoy a day. And it's just so interesting. And what does this have to do with our text? There are weapons of warfare that are mentioned here in Scripture. And there's going to be a day, it was prophesied, when warfare is so far beyond us that garments that were used in battle and shoes that marched into war, we have no purpose for them any longer. Let's build a fire. Let's roast some marshmallows. I mean, literally, there's no better cause. Can you imagine a day, church, where peace is so prevalent upon the earth that articles of war are now used for social events? You understand what I'm saying? This is what was prophesied about the Prince of Peace. In fact, there's two places uh, in Scripture that really affirm this. Isaiah 2, chapter 4, says that there will be a day, talking about Jesus, where he will judge between the nations and he will rebuke many people. But then he says this, they will beat their swords into plowshares. They will beat their swords, and we won't even need to use swords anymore anymore. 
You know what a plowshare is? I didn't know. I had to look it up. It's one of these, uh, you see where you have the plows that a horse or a donkey or an ox would pull. The plowshare is the front blade that actually moves and cuts the ground as the thing is pulled through the ground. And so he's literally saying, uh, we don't need swords anymore. Let's use it for farming. You guys, this is like what has happened in Pearl Harbor. Like, we don't have wars ahead of us any longer. There is so much prevailing peace that the best use I have for a sword is farming equipment. Are you getting the picture? We're going to talk about how we, can, how we can move there and things that we ought to be praying for. Micah 4, 3, you don't have to turn there. It says the exact same thing. They would beat their swords into plowshares. This is a prophecy that's repeated three different times throughout Scripture in addition to our Christmas verse. And so I, I want to talk about what does this peace look like? Because if, if that's what we're moving towards, what does that mean for us today? So... I want to talk about three areas that I believe Jesus, the Prince of Peace, desires to release peace in our lives. Three areas that he wants to release peace in our lives and around us. The first one we see is actually connected to the Christmas story as well. Luke chapter 2 in verse 13. It says, suddenly, let's just talk about there's shepherds that are gathered in the field and it says, suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Everybody say peace and goodwill. Now this is interesting, okay? If you're, if you're taking notes, you write this down. Number one is peace with God. The first thing that Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, desires to release in us is peace with God. This is a gesture that, that the coming of Jesus has, has indicated to each and every one of us. It is a desire that God wants to have peace with all mankind. And then it says this. Now, I want you to pay attention because this is going to help some of you here today says goodwill towards men, right? That's, that's a part of our Christmas carols. We've all seen that. We've all heard that. But what does that actually mean? When you dig into it, in fact, I looked at a lot of the different translations. I dug into the original language, and every commentator and every translation agrees. It is an expression. Listen to me on this. Goodwill towards men is an expression of God's good pleasure towards men mankind. It is an expression of his good pleasure towards mankind. Now I want you to think about this for a moment because I, I have a feeling if we were to go out and do interviews with just the general public and ask them, tell me, do you think God is generally happy or mad towards the people of the earth? What do you think people would say? You think God is generally happy or, or like upset with, with mankind? I think, I don't know. Like my, my wife said happy, okay? Uh, I personally, and I don't know, we, we ought to try this sometime. Maybe let's commission some YWAMers to go and do interviews with people or something. I, I, I really, I'm, I'm curious. My suspicion is that most people who do not know the Lord walk around thinking God is angry with them. 
He's waiting in the sky for us to fail so he can squash us, right? Judge us. I, I think that's what most people have a general impression about God, that God is not generally happy towards mankind. No, he's generally unhappy towards mankind. What I find so interesting is these angels came and they began to declare, God has good will. He has a gesture of good pleasure towards all mankind. And think about this. this he's revealing this to shepherds. He's not coming to church people. He is offering this as a gesture to all mankind before they have received Jesus. It's not like he's coming into a, into a nation that's just experienced a mighty revival, a move of God, and most of them are saved, and wow, God is now pleased with you. He is coming into a world where nobody has been redeemed, and he said, God has good pleasure towards you. I want you to think about that. The idea that God is pleased with us even before we've done anything to receive his pleasure. Do you get it? I know that's hard for us to maybe wrap our heads around. I meet people all the time. I can't come to church. I'd walk into church and the building would fall down or it'd catch on fire. You meet people like this all the time. They are so sure that God is angry with them. Here's the fact. All of us have fallen miserably short of the high and holy standard of God Almighty. Every one of us have. And you need to encourage your friends and family, people that you've met. Boy, if I walked into the church, that, that building would burn right down. You need to encourage him, bro. <laughs> uh, if a building was going to burn down because of a sinner, then I, I'm right there with you. I mean, every one of us, we, how many of you have fallen short of God's high, holy, perfect standard? All of us have. We're all in process. We're all in process. Uh, the, the, the question is, are we going to get in the process and be committed to the process? Some of us are further along than others. But, man, I watch sometimes people get saved, and six months into their walk with God, they've got greater maturity than somebody who's walked with the Lord for 50 years and have gone stale in their walk with the Lord. Are you hearing me today? I, I, I'm going to try and stay nice. It's Christmas, and God has good pleasure towards us. But, look, Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, we have been justified by faith. Justified is that legal declaration that you are not a sinner, you are a saint. You are right with God. In, in the, the simplest way that I always teach people how to remember this is you say, justified never sinned. That's a, that's a simple way you can remember, justified and never sinned. It's a legal declaration from a judge saying, not guilty. That's what it is to be justified. How does that happen? By faith. We have peace with God. Oh, you moved it too quick. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into grace. And we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of the Lord. Church, you have access to God Almighty and His grace because of what Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has done for us. You understand, without Jesus, uh, we're all doomed, man. We're, we're all, uh, the Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Enmity is literally a constant state of striving. It's warfare. It's, it's tension. And without the redeeming work of Jesus, that's what we experience. But through Jesus, 
We have peace. We have access to grace from God Almighty. What a wonderful joy. You might wonder, how is that possible? Well, it's through the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. I was reading this prophecy in Isaiah 53. Again, I was just looking at all the verses that have to do with peace and, 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 and how that's released in our life. And you'll see this incredible exchange. We all have heard the verse that by his stripes we were healed, right? That's Isaiah 53. That's the last phrase there. By his stripes we are healed. It's talking about this exchange. You understand, when Jesus received stripes on his back... He was purchasing something for you and I. This is why every Sunday we stand with authority, not timidly praying, not begging God. No, we stand with authority knowing Jesus paid a price for people to be healed. And so we pray for healing. He purchased it by stripes he bore on his back. And so we receive healing. But there's a couple exchanges that you'll read in that same verse. It says that he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. Transgression is every time you fail to fulfill the law of God. Iniquities are lifestyle of repeated sin. Okay? So really when it comes down to it, sin. They're both sin. One of them, the Bible says that he was wounded and he was bruised. I want you to think about this. Wounded is external wounds, right? You get a cut, you're bleeding, that's a wound. Bruising is internal bleeding, internal wounding. And you'll see here, Jesus made atonement not only for sins that are outward, sins that we commit and that we express, but he also made atonement for the sins that we commit in our heart. Inward And outward, Jesus was bruised and he was wounded so we could be forgiven. And then there's one more phrase that you see in that Isaiah passage. It says, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Now that's confusing language. Can I just be honest with you? How many of you understand what the chastisement of his peace, of our peace, was upon him? The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Let me make it real simple for you. Chastisement is punishment. Chastisement is like, you know, the Bible uses the terms like when you spank your child, you're chastising them, right? So it's punishment. My kids know about that. Praise God. We believe in spankings. Praise God. How many of you, how many of you grew up receiving lickings? Praise God. Yeah. That's what, that's what they call it here in Hawaii. For, so, and you get, you get lickings with anything that you can grab. You, you, should see my, you should see how fast my wife can take off her slipper. Yeah. Okay, I went way off track there. Fast. So, um, chastisement is punishment. But you can remember chastise now, aren't you? You just think lickings, right? So... Uh, um, that's what chast- and so he says the chastisement for our peace was upon Jesus. Meaning, l- let me let me read this to you. The chastisement chastises to punishment. The punishment needed to obtain peace and well-being is what Jesus received. 
The punishment in order that we can receive the peace of God, Jesus took that punishment upon himself. How many know you could not receive enough lickings from God to atone for the sin that we have committed? We never could. You'd be getting licked for all eternity. I mean, really, that's, that's, that's the point of hell. Really, that's what it is. But Jesus took that punishment. He took that upon himself, and he gives us peace. I hope you're getting thankful for Jesus today. I hope this is helping somebody in the house of God today. Now, let me move on to the next one. He was, uh, the Prince of Peace has given us not only peace with God, but number two, he's given us peace of mind and heart. Peace of mind and heart. And you'll see this in John chapter 14. Jesus said, I am leaving you with a gift. Anybody get gifts for Christmas this year? John 14, 27 says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give you, the world cannot give. Don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you loved me, you would be happy. I'm going to my Father who is greater than I am. I've told you these things before they happen, so when they happen, you will believe. I don't have a lot of time to talk to you. The ruler of the world approaches. He has no power over me. I will do what the Father requires of me so the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let us be going. He moves into a time of prayer. This is some of my favorite passages in Scripture. Jesus left us with a gift, peace of heart and mind. And you'll notice he says, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. How many of you know the last two years have been some of the most fearful and troubling years that we've had in human history, at least in our history? I mean, it's just been insane, and you can see it. Every statistic, every there's no denying the effect. Now, and we can talk about what's true and what's not true. What do we believe? What do we not believe? That's part of where this troubling, you know, anxious feeling comes from. It's just like, I don't know who to believe. I don't know if I believe this guy or that guy. I don't know if I believe this person or that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's just like, it's burdensome. And I just, you know, so we're, we're in this season where people have lost jobs. And, you know, in the last couple of years, I mean, it's just, it's been troubling to see businesses closed down and, 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 and the upheaval over the elections, oh my goodness, and racial tensions. And, I mean, you name it, we've had more burdens and more stresses thrown our way in the last two years. Children committing suicide because they can't go to school. The only interaction they have is through a computer screen. I mean, you guys, this is a, we've been in a very challenging time and season. But here's what's so mind-boggling. Jesus says, you don't have to be troubled. You don't have to be afraid. And then he says, do you know what I'm about to go through? Did you hear what he said? He says, the ruler of the world is coming towards me. I want you to think about this, okay? Because we've all had, like, trouble Omicron is coming, right? You just think like we've got some stuff that's coming towards us, and some of it's scary, and some of it's not worth being scared about. You understand? Jesus said, Satan himself is coming for me, but I'm not troubled or afraid. How? Guys, you're not just talking about some little agenda. You're not talking about some imp demon that's coming after you. 
He's going to give you a nightmare. No, I mean, that's the stuff we deal with. Jesus said, Satan himself is coming for me. And you want to know how he remained in peace of heart and mind? Well, he had two things going on. He had integrity. He had integrity. He says, the devil has no power over me. He has no power. You want to know, demon power is parasitical power. Satan only has power that you give him to. If you open a door to him, he has power. James 4.4, if you give him a foothold, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4.4, if you give him a foothold, if you give him a place, then he can have a hook or a a stronghold, a, a foothold in your life. But if you do not give him place in your life, he has no authority. He has no power. Jesus knew he was walking in integrity. He was whole. He had not failed in keeping or or walking with the Lord. And so he said, Satan has no power over me. You maybe have heard the story of Brother Wigglesworth waking up in the middle of the night. I've heard it told two different ways. You know, one he saw at the end of his bed, another one he heard in the kitchen. I'm not sure which is true, but... I believe the account, they, they say that Smith Wigglesworth got out of bed, he went down into the kitchen, and he sees standing there in front of him Satan himself. What, what would you do? I don't know what I'd do, honestly. I've, but you know what Wigglesworth did? He said, oh, it's only you. And he went right back to bed. You want to know Why? There's a man of integrity who knows the devil has no power over me. Now, church, you and I really can be in that place, you understand. We say, Pastor, I I fail. You know, I, I, I cussed at somebody when I was, you know, when they cut me off in the parking lot. Listen, listen, (laughs) we're all gonna have moments where we fail. We're all gonna have moments where we lose it. The question is, are you going to get back up? Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Honey, I'm sorry. Forgive me. You know, you, you reconcile with people, but when you do that and you ask Jesus to work in you, you're back in integrity again. And the moment that the enemy comes and tries beating down your door or standing at the end of your bed or harassing your family, if you are in integrity the way Jesus was, you can say the same way Jesus was, he has no power over me. I love it. So we need to walk in integrity. The other thing that I love that Jesus said, he says, uh, he says the ruler of the world approaches, he has no power over me. I will do what the Father requires of me, and the world will know that I love the Father. You know what else Jesus had? He had integrity, but he also had vision. He knew there's a purpose behind what I'm about to endure. He knew that when people see, and we're telling the story 2,000 years later, we see Jesus endured the harassing of the enemy. He drank the cup. He carried our sin. He rose from the dead. He has the keys of hell, death, and the grave. Like We tell that story today. Jesus knew, I'm going to endure even this horrendous attack from Satan himself because it's doing something. It's accomplishing something. Church, if you and I can grab hold of vision, God, this is a difficult time, but I know I'm in the center of your will. 
it'll change everything for you. It'll change everything for you. I know if I get to the other side of this, you guys, I don't think you understand. Like, there are churches that split like crazy over one building program. The stresses and the burdens, you know, calling in finances, all of this, it is, it is unbelievable. What's mind-boggling is that <laughs> Dr. Morocco, we're, we're in like seven building programs right now as a church. Most, most churches won't do that in their entire history. We're doing that right now. This is stretching us. It's testing us. And there's moments where, where my wife and I, we just look at each other and what are we going to do? I mean, we just feel like beating our head against a wall. You know what keeps us going? Vision. Vision. We'll go for a walk and we'll go step on the backside of this property and we'll see what's going to one day be five, seven hundred seats. And the people of God gathered together and it's just like, no, this is worth it. It's worth waiting for hours at the building department. It's worth calling this thing. It's worth, you know, it's worth going, you know, all, all of the things that are, that are connected to this. When you get vision, you understand it's worth it. Why did Jesus endure whipping? Because he knew that it was purchasing something. Why did Jesus endure harassing? Because he knew that he was purchasing something. Everything that he endured. The Bible says that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. You know what that joy is? It's us. That one day mankind would be reconciled to him. So why am I going to endure the most pain that I've ever experienced? Why am I going to endure the weight of all the sin of all mankind? Because he knew that it was accomplishing something in the earth. You want to have peace of mind and peace in your heart? Make sure you're right with Jesus. Integrity. And make sure you have vision. God, I know I'm in your plan, and I know I'm in your will. And it's not always easy, but I know that you've got a purpose in all of it. Are you with me today, church? Now, here's the last one, and, and I close with this. Um, <laughs> says, uh, well, let's, let's look quickly at, at, at what we've talked about. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has given us, first of all, who's taking notes? You know what, what, what was the first one? Peace with God. Everybody say, peace with God. And number two, we have peace of mind and heart. Oh, my goodness. You guys, if you don't have that yet, we're going to pray that you receive that even yet today. But the third thing is, now this is going to blow your mind, peace on the earth. Um, you, you could say it this way to use a, a phrase that's maybe more familiar to all of us is world peace. Do you know that that's actually on God's agenda? That God desires for us to have world peace? And you say, how in the world is that going to happen? Well, here is something that I want you to understand. And I've not yet talked about this in all of the, all of the series. But in Isaiah chapter 9. It says, a, son, a child is born, a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now watch this part, verse 7. Of the increase, everybody say increase. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
upon the throne of David to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time, from that time forward. That's the time of the birth of Jesus and forward. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is, you want to know what that means? I know that's a lot of, that's a lot of language right there, but, but here's what this means. Jesus was born, and when he came, he came as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. These are all aspects of the kingdom that he came to establish on the earth. Now, sometimes we think that, boy, Jesus came, a great demonstration of peace and power and salvation and goodness and counsel and all the many attributes of God. And it's all been downhill from there. I disagree. Jesus said, you will see even greater works than what you've seen me do. That passage, I want you to think about this. Everything that Jesus was and everything that Jesus did was him establishing the kingdom of God on the earth. It began 2,000 years ago. And from that time, it's not diminishing in power. He said of the increase of that government or kingdom, there will be no end. And by the way, the zeal of the Lord. It's not our passion, our drive. No, the Lord himself is zealous to see it accomplished. It will constantly increase. It will constantly grow. So listen, uh, you've stepped into peace as you came to know Jesus. That peace is only going to increase forever. You've received counsel. I have a little bit of joy, but I still struggle over here. That's okay. Because the joy that you've received is only going to increase. I received great freedom when I came to Jesus, but I still wrestle with certain things. That's okay. Because he's a mighty God. And what you experienced was only the beginning. It's going to increase. You guys get it. This is why I believe that the greatest revival in human history is not behind us. It wasn't Acts chapter 2. It wasn't Azusa Street. It wasn't the Welsh revival. It wasn't Hawaii's Great Awakening. They're all wonderful, but the greatest move of God is still ahead of us because God's not going to do less than what he did yesterday. His kingdom is still increasing. It's, it's more. It's more power. It's more glory. It's more, it's more grace and peace and, and might and all of this. You guys with me today? Oh my goodness. Worship team, I need you to come. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I know you guys are all still hung over on biscuits and gravy and, and cinnamon rolls and you know, I, asked, I asked a few people, what did you guys do for Christmas? And everybody says, we cooked and we ate. That's okay. Next Sunday, we're going to fast. <laughs> Would you stand? Would you stand? Um. I felt like I felt like today we needed to end in a in a time of prayer. And then I I'm going to ask for a commitment from you, but I'll I'll frame that in just a moment. How many of you believe that the greatest the greatest move of God is not behind us. It's it's ahead of us. It's before us. 
Are you with me on that? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Because, guys, that's what I want to contend for. That's what I want to believe for. I mean, I, I do pray prayers like, God, do it again. But even when I pray that, my expectancy is that you're going to do that, but it's going to be greater. What Titus Cohen saw or what William Seymour saw or Jonathan Edwards saw or what Evan Roberts, you need to look at the greats throughout all of history. What, man, what the disciples saw in Acts 2, I, I look and it's like, yeah, God, do that again. But do it greater. Do it increase. Do it more. Can we, just, can we just begin to pray and ask the Lord to pour out his spirit in great and mighty measure? Come on, historic revival. The greatest move of God in human history. Oh, Jesus, we believe your word. You instructed us to pray your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth just as it is in heaven. Lord, you said that you had come to release a government, a kingdom on the earth. And of the increase of that government, there would be no end. Lord, your power, your peace, your grace, the might of Almighty God, uh, your counsel. Lord, the everlasting Father, your love and your adoption, your salvation. Lord, you're not waning in your ability to do that. You desire to do it more and more and more. And so, Lord, today we as the people of God stand and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, we desire that you do that here. We desire you use us. We want to be a part of what you do in this last day. Oh, in this last mighty outpouring of your spirit. Oh, Jesus, we ask you, pour out your kingdom. Pour out your glory. Pour out your power in the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, the greatest revival in human history. Oh, in Jesus' name. I feel like we need to worship. Come on. Let's, can we just, I heard what you're playing. Let's, let's sing that. That's good. I've seen you. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still, I'm still in
Church, I want to come to you with I guess I have an ask of you, okay? I was listening to John Kilpatrick share about how their church prepared for that mighty revival at Brownsville. And he said he came before the church and he asked them to really begin to dig in in prayer and to begin to press in to see the mighty revival that God desired to pour out. And he said that he believed the reason why God began to do that is because the people became hungry. They became hungry. And I want to call you to hunger today. Part of the reason that we fast is we deny our earthly appetites. We deny food. Maybe you'll deny social media. Maybe you'll deny television. Maybe you'll deny, I don't know, some other hobby or something. You're going to give something up. You're going to deny, not necessarily because it's sin or it's wrong, but it's saying, no, I'm denying my flesh in this area because God, what you offer and what you can do is of greater value to me. And so I'm going to ask you, you don't have to begin today. You you enjoy the rest of the week eating and all that kind of stuff. Praise God. But I really, I want you to prayerfully consider what are you going to fast? Because church, I want to dig into what God desires to do in the greatest outpouring in human history. I I believe for that. But it's not going to happen because... Pastor Jacob's excited and can preach revival messages. No, it's going to happen when the people of God, we rally together and say, no, we're really going to go after this, man. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm committing that even during, you know, come January, I'm going to be at morning prayer every single day. Even on my day off, praise God, I'm going to be there. We're going to go after God, and I I challenge you to, to do the same. We're going to go hard after this thing. Now, are you with me, church? Oh, I hope so. I sure hope so. We're going to get serious and we're going to see a move of God. Hallelujah. Can I pray for you? Can I pray that even the Prince of Peace would come and rule and reign over your life? God, I'm asking all across this room right now that the Prince of Peace, Jesus, you came, that we would have peace with you, mighty God. That there would be nothing that would separate, no enmity, no striving between man and God any longer, but that we would have peace with you, O Lord. And so today, Jesus, we receive the accomplished work of Christ. We receive the cleansing by your blood and the forgiveness of sin. We receive, Jesus, the peace that only you can offer. But God, I'm asking over every heart and mind, 
I ask in the mighty name of Jesus that fear, that intimidation, that anxieties, I command them to loose the people of God, to let them go, and that, Lord, you would release your peace, that you would release your grace, that you would release your hand in the mighty name of Jesus, that we would know and walk in confidence that we are under the care of Almighty God. Lord, would you move in our midst Would you destroy every attempt of the enemy to bring fear or division? Lord, to attack our emotions. And would you move us into that place of peace of mind and heart? And God, we believe for that last day outpouring of the Spirit that will ultimately usher in world peace. It will usher in one kingdom united under you, Almighty God. Oh, and we anticipate that day. We anticipate that day. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.